I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I'm joined now from South Africa. Uh, by an old friend of mine, Ronnie Castrils, a war hero, a guerrilla fighter, a commander, a minister in the African National Congress government, an author of great note, uh, some of the best things ever written about the freedom struggle in South Africa came out of the pen of my next guest, Ronnie Castrils. Ronnie, welcome to the mother of all talk shows. Uh, it's good to see you again, but not in these circumstances, because alas, uh, you're not here to talk about the great days. Uh, you're here to talk about the bad days that your country is going through. I wonder if you could describe what's been happening and why you think it has been happening. Sure. Well, good evening, Comrade George. It's great to be with you. I've been glued to my hearing here as you've presented the Sputnik show. Thank you. I'm a great fan. And thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. So much for your courage and the way you stand up for the truth and justice, George. You know how it's inspired me. Thank you, Ronnie. It's been a horrendous week in South Africa, something that um, when we came to power, I, toppled apartheid and it was a democratic South Africa, as you well know, you visited us often from 1994. Um, and on this day, by the way, which would be the 103rd anniversary of the great man Nelson Mandela's birth, 18th July, 19, uh, 1918. I mean, you know, Madiba would never ever have dreamed of such a nightmare striking this beloved country. Um, and it broke out not unexpectedly. The intelligence service um, flat-footed and the police flat-footed, unfortunately riven by splits and factions within the ANC, which has been brought about by uh, a, 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 a Jacob Zuma, who is now in, in orange overalls in a prison cell as we speak, sentenced to 15 months for contempt of court, and that came from the highest apex court in the land, the Constitutional Court. Um, a, a grotesque mediocrity, actually, who the ANC for so long when he came and basically uh, organised a, a, a coup, a, a, the overthrow of Mbeki, who had become uh, by that time in 2008, uh, rather strange, especially from the trade unions and the left, but also from the Zuma grouping within the ANC, who were and have been proved and shown to be absolutely bent 
on the criminal stripping of, of state resources and selling the country to the cheapest and the, the worst kind of bidders, the so-called Guptas and so on. So the courts, um, after Zuma has been attempting since 2005 to avoid the courts, there have been and are a number of charges still pending against him for corruption. But the ANC swept that all under the carpet. Uh, in one of these lame efforts to pretend of a, a paper unity, whilst a group of racketeers were, were, were running the country down and actually hollowing out state institutions by Zuma in order to serve him self, uh, which is why we have a situation where a lot of departments are dislocated, dysfunctional, and this has happened with the security services. So Zuma gets sentenced, and this racketeering group around him, who still wish to see his surrogates in and that's themselves coming back to power and to keep themselves out of prison cells because the number of charges pending against these particular people are accruing and the long arm of the law, uh, which Cyril Ramaphosa has infused with, with renewed strength of the judiciary, which at least in our country, maintains what you were talking about in Britain, pre-Tony Blair and going back to Profumo, and I'm old enough to know about that history that you, you recounted, uh, George. So, he gets sentenced and this grouping around him very openly um, are saying that they will prevent this over their dead bodies and um, making all sorts of statements. When he, at the final hour, surrends himself to the police, we've seen from his very own family on social media statements about destabilizing the country if Jacob Zuma serves the sentence. Uh, with that particular political agenda, you've got to connect it to the enormous, and it goes back to Madiba and the compromises from 1994, um, socioeconomic problems crisis in a country which has inordinate unemployment. It's a figure over 42% by the statistician general in relation to younger people up to the age of 25. They've never seen work. You take it up to majority, you, you take it up to the 35 years old and they are part of an unemployed, which is 67, 70% in the country with this enormous poverty and the yawning gap of comfortable South Africa, which is 20% of our people. And of course, a couple of percent as elsewhere in the neoliberal world with the corporates and the greed and the control going back into colonial and apartheid times of, of the economy. And we've had people predicting bread riots, explosions, ticking time bombs. So it wasn't a surprise that the Zuma grouping make the threats, go onto social media, calling for protest and a 
situation breaks out just over a week ago when the first action on the arterial highway, the economic lifeline of South Africa from the big port of Durban, serving the Gauteng area, we're talking about between Durban and Johannesburg, 70% of the, um, the economy. Suddenly, there's an attack on trucking uh, on that highway and something like a score of trucks get burnt out a Thursday a week ago and then by the Sunday um, triggered by statements in social media etc you suddenly get this outpouring which was absolutely a nightmare of looting frenzy gone on steroids and this is where thousands of people begin ransacking the major malls, shopping centers, food supply depots and warehouses of the Zulu kingdom of KwaZulu-Natal. And then attendantly, and you know South Africa well, George, um, in the Gauteng, Joburg, Pretoria area, again into areas where migrant workers terribly poor and suffering but traditionally locked in to that Zulu kingdom and increasingly um, behind the Jacob Zuma uh, narrow nationalist agenda I mean it's increasingly become a native Zulu in his life again playing that ethnic card um, it's that blow up and the police are nowhere to be seen um, and this ransacking takes place, uh, which strips these food malls and, and, and the shopping areas absolutely to the bones. And of course, in, in the Gauteng area to a certain degree. So this is the uproar that's taken place and government is slow in responding. Um, the president from Oposa a week ago is on television and he appeals for calm, he appeals uh, um, for normality, and he says that the military will be deployed. I woke up on Monday morning with the rest of the country because that speech was made on a Sunday night and we'd been through this bedlam through the weekend. Um, and I expected to see, you know, I was once a Deputy Minister of Defence before I became a Minister of Intelligence. We expected to see military vehicles on the roads, not because we're in love with a securocratic approach. We saw what happened in London, in Britain in 2011 with the, with the uproar and the uprising there and, and so on. Uh, so there's a time when you do want to see your police and at rare moments when there's anarchy let loose and the dogs of war are let loose to see a military support and there was nothing. And our Minister of Defence said in response that she was going to deploy the almighty number of 2,700 troops and that's for this massive area of KwaZulu-Natal and of uh, the whole Gauteng area, small province but 10 million people or more living within it. Um, fast forwarding from Matifa George to yes. try and characterize what's happened, the 
president and the security ministers, including the ministry that I once ran, which is intelligence services, now called State Security Agency. Um, the story begins to flow, which is partly true, but also questionable, because we've seen how these things operate across Britain, you're very used to it, in the United States, across Europe and Africa and Latin America, all over, where immediately, in terms of public civil disorder, which can be traced back and directly to hunger, unemployment, um, economic hardship, inequality, which South Africa is suffering to such a degree because we're part of the whole free market, neoliberal, Reagan-Thatcher economic system, which was adopted, unfortunately, in the compromise that Mandiba worked out and then and Becky and right through Zuma to Ramaphosa runs in this country. So we've had, I would say, side by side with a grouping who lit a political fuse, if we can call it political, but who lit this particular fuse in relation to the connection with Zuma's incarceration and their threats that he had to be released, otherwise it would be bedlam. You link into that the basic fundamental root, which gave rise, I would say, to the spontaneous, largely spontaneous, looting that took place of the very poor going and, if I use this in quotes, the liberating of products that they see uh, spewed out at them all the time about commodification and the right kind of Gucci wear, and you've made reference to the spacesuits and so on, um, in those shop windows and on television screens, and basically looking to find a month's free supply of groceries. You know, there are ministers who have said, oh, it's not that, it can't be, because look at the people taking away the huge flat TV screens and even car tires. You know, utter imbecilic ministers um, and, and spokespeople representing government who can't see that if you're looking to offset hunger and poverty, and you come across a set of car tires in a showroom, of course you're going to translate that into porridge and bread and milk on the table for your kids. So there's that whole amalgam of what I would say to you is a perfect storm which occurred in South Africa to a point, because one saving grace, it's not national that we've seen. It's confined to two provinces. There are nine provinces, as you well know, George, in South Africa. So the question then is, well, why were the other seven? Well, there's, there's been a great deal of anarchy. And in Cape Town, the taxi drivers are just killing each other all the time as they, as, as they compete for routes and they shoot, have shootouts, etc. So there's a lot of violence, but it didn't spread, which I would say then tends to give some real serious credence to what Ramaphosa, the president, what security spokespeople are saying in relation to an actual political agenda linked through to Zuma. But the bottom line of all this, and this is what the government 
has to grasp in terms of the nettle now, and that is in order to clean up, yes, if there's evidence that there is a deep-rooted political subversion of, of this particular grouping that has been involved, put forward the evidence, charge people, arrest them, charge them, and put them on trial and nip this in the bud that way because these people are speaking about phase two of a strategy of going through to destabilize the country until Zoom is released. The thing about the looting then is if we see that it's the Zulu kingdom and that it's then an offshoot into Zulu hostels because of these migrant workers from in, in, from that area in the mines and the factories that make Johannesburg run, they in these awful hostels still are, which are dominated by criminals and traditionalists from Zululand and easily buy into the Zuma agenda because of the whole ethnic aspect. But the fact that the looting is generated in a mass way obviously isn't controlled by these particular groups, but there was an influence and it's shown because, as I've said, we do see it functioning in or, or, or having burst out in these two provinces. Finally, the government slowly has begun to get on top of it. Sanity's returned, uh, civil society's working, People in communities are cooperating with police security on the ground to reinstate order. Um, and that kind of normality has been returning to South Africa. But George, one hell of a week. Dreadful to have had to live through it, this. It, it, it was, it was uh, conveyed uh, incredibly powerfully by you. Uh, it was a nightmare to live through. It was a nightmare, frankly, to hear it described in such dystopian terms. Um, I'll come back to what I think is the biggest question on that in a minute. But first, other racial aspects beyond the Zulu ethnic issue, one hears maybe propaganda uh, of white people being singled out for attack, of Indian people uh, being singled out for attack. Is that accurate? And how worrying is it if it is? Well, yes, it, it is. And it has occurred. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Put this within the broader context of the fact that as much as South Africa has advanced and developed um, in these years, and we should have done far, far better, that we've found and seen, again, and I would say it's linked into socioeconomic roots, um, we've seen outbursts over the years, xenophobia, not just out of the Zulu kingdom, the KwaZulu-Natal province, or on the um, the, the, the um, Gauteng area, but also out of Cape Town, out of the Eastern Cape, out of smaller parts of South Africa, where at specific times there have been outbursts, outbursts of xenophobia uh, against so-called foreign nationals, not white, and I'll come to whites, um, but people from as far afield as Somalia, who are small traders in this country, Pakistanis, people from Bangladesh, where it's been Asianized xenophobia and um, Africanized in relation to, as I've said, Somalia and West Africans, because South Africa's had its open borders and there's been this huge influx of people from abroad. And a lot of that we also have seen is connected to local traders who are anti the competition from business groups who are able to organize themselves in a collective way to buy cheaply and sell cheap goods undercutting them in the townships. So we've seen that particular aspect at play. We've also seen pockets of white racism and dreadful attacks on black people and killings by farmers, for instance, um, of, of a black laborer who they've accused of stealing a sunflower. There are, are, are cases like this that have littered the landscape over these years. Um, so the country has not really come to grips with the racist um, cancer which is still here, those seeds from the past. And we know from Britain, from France, from Germany, from the United States, North America, wherever, Brazil, how hard it is to deal with these aspects. So in this particular instance, there have been some very ugly scenes um, at townships where, you know, there's still the apartheid divisions where you have Indian townships, as they call, these are, are South Africans of Asian Indian origin who have been here 150 years and so on, um, protecting their particular communities against the ravages of this turbulence and um, larceny and lootings that we've seen. And at Phoenix, a specific township where it goes actually back, there's long history because it's an area where there's some wealth amongst the Indian population and also a lot of poverty, but Chikbajal surrounded by black African areas. And there have been 
problems in the past. It's been something of a hotspot. So in this past week, um, what is surfacing, and we're still not sure, there's talk about 20 young black people were slaughtered by these um, Asian defenders of, of their territory. You've also seen in white or mixed race and white areas, similar defenses of communities in terms of the the so-called you know black peril this rise of of looting criminality that they perceive from the indigenous african areas so this aspect is worrying it it is it has come to the fore. There have been very strong attempts immediately by government. The president's been in those areas, police spokespeople, military presence, etc., to cauterize that. But South Africa continues because of the fact, and I'll go back to the compromises on the economy under Madiba, and not just saying. That was 100% bad. We go back, and you've got to, in history, we don't have time to just go through the analysis of why the compromises took place in order to ensure the political transition to power. But as we well know, the trade-offs which are actually unacceptable where the, 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 the chickens come home to roost, George. Yes. And we've seen these chickens coming home to roost well, that's, because uh, we failed to deal with the key fundamental roots linked to free market economy and austerity. The fact that the government from Mandela right through to, to, to Ramaphosa now have failed to address the crying needs of the poor in our country. And I'm talking about 80% who do not live the, the protected, comfortable life of 20% of us. I wish we had more time. I've only time for one more question, though we could actually give over the whole show to this, because the compromises of which you speak uh, are, of course, uh, compromises or conditions that exist in almost all countries, perhaps with the exception of of China uh, in all countries, and perhaps even there. Uh, but if the proximate cause is the Zuma affair, as I think I infer from the totality of your remarks, right. this, and it pains me, trust me, it pains me to say this to you in public, uh, it's a failure of the ANC that we gave, you gave, everything risked your life for, but we all gave uh, our love and our support and our solidarity over the best years of our lives. It's heartbreaking uh, that yeah. the ANC has been in power all this time, and the situation is as you have just described it. Exactly. That is the proximity. And, um, you, you know, I don't want to um, blow my own bugle. bugle. But I challenged Zuma in 2005 within the ANC's National Executive Committee, its, its highest committee elected by its annual, its, its five-year conference. And Zuma at that stage had run foul of Mbeki, another country, because of his connection with his uh, former financial advisor who had been uh, sentenced uh, in a court of law for financial 
corruption and racketeering and connected to Zuma. And Zuma had been mentioned by the judge as being part of a corrupt relationship. But post-1990, we came back from exile. As you know, I, I and others, we, I'd worked closely with Zuma. And there was questioning we had about his narrow nationalism and um, and secrecy and ambitions which were unhealthy and there were warnings but the ANC desperately needed a Zulu figurehead uh, they had very few um, a, a, at the time and to neutralize the IFP of Butelezi in KwaZulu-Natal, where we had huge violence and the civil war taking place. So Zuma was very fondly accepted and projected by Bandiba. When corruption aspects were seen, he was getting into debt, uh, all sorts of vultures were now following him and wanting to, to buy and, and buying things for him, filling his car up with petrol, petty stuff, etc. Madiba arranged for him to get a million rand, um, and, uh, you know, to basically think that that was going to be the way to calm this guy down. It just fueled his greed. And through politics, his greed grew. And when Mbeki stalls him and, 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 and actually sacks him as his deputy president, he starts talking about a political conspiracy um, in a grand way and, you know, with no facts. And, but, but this way that beguiles people and shuts up anybody who's going to, to, to contradict. And he's saying, no, there's a conspiracy to prevent him coming to power because he's a Zulu, because he's Zuma. And I challenged him in the National Executive Committee. He couldn't answer. He wouldn't answer. The ANC allowed him to carry on along those lines and using that theory without challenging the theory. And to some extent, they, they, they still grasp that theory because it's useful to explain away your failures and always then say, well, we're a revolutionary liberation movement and uh, there's counter-revolution always dogging us from external and internal forces. And when you have that kind of situation, you create a hero figure, you create impunity around the man, you don't question this. And it led then to his coming to power as president. And then those awful years, um, a dozen years or so, in which he ran down the country, it's called the state capture issue. Uh, we know what influences are on every government from outside. And South Africa talked about that influence of this particular Gupta group around Zuma buying favours and contracts, etc., as state capture. Of course, there's, there's the influence of, of the classical economic power base and, and relations in South Africa. But it, it, it was this kind of thing playing itself out. And then with the divide in the ANC and Zuma now under pressure because of the corruption, um, you, you had a strong faction developing within the ANC of people who wanted to get on board that gravy, tra that gravy train that bandwagon, who got promotion, who got position above their abilities. Um, and, and then 
this running down of, of the state structures that then took place, because it's the state structures and their budget that these people basically focus on as rentiers and as stripping the state, because they can't really compete with a traditional economic power relation and control of the country. And that's where the state had come in for this absolute um, uh, um, theft that, that has taken place and the weakening of the state. So the ANC became rotten. And there's that struggle that you're referring to, and that, that political, politicized agenda within police and intelligence and so on, that so affected the situation um, in, in the country. So this is at the door of the ANC. It's not the ANC that we once knew. They pretend they are. And the big question for Ramaphosa is, if in fact there's going to be a renewal in the ANC and there's got a movement in relation to that within the ANC, people who want to save it, a lot of people who are honest and decent. Um, and if he's going to win that, of course, he's got to rid himself of the Zuma grouping, which is underway. I believe their shelf life is, 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 is up and Zuma's shelf life is up. He doesn't have the patronage power of buying people and giving favors, etc. So I think that's on the wane. And that's why they're so desperate at the moment with the game, this, this absolutely dangerous, sinister game that they're playing. But final point, can Ramaphosa do, and I'm not now going to fly a red flag of direct socialism. You're a socialist, I'm a socialist, I'll die a socialist with you, George. And we know that's the really the, the, the only way to save this benighted world from Haiti to India, from the Philippines to Britain and, and all over Latin America, etc. But we don't have the united strong trade union movement of yesteryear, of the 80, 1980s, of even 1994. They weak as has happened elsewhere in the world for the reasons of neoliberal rundown of our industries, etc. Um, can Ramaphosa therefore, and I'm old fashioned, and, and I believe in history like you do, it's got the lessons for us, but I use the words FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I'm not going to say he's the angel that is projected as, but that way of buying, spending, going against austerity, going for new deal, job creation, um, and, and, and infrastructure building, giving people jobs, turning the wicked corner that South Africa became part of, having the guts and the courage again to reinstate the liberation, morality and ethic that we built up over all those years of struggle for international solidarity. ANC was social democratic, but at least that kind of recipe, which in this day and age needs inordinate power. We see Venezuela, we see Cuba. Of course, with China, it is so much different because of the power that they have, but it's that kind of response that I'm talking about that South Africa urgently needs to get out of this deep, deep hole, not only that 
Zuma has, has dug, but that we unfortunately have overseen since 1994. Finally, we, we both know, although not everyone, only people of a certain age know, uh, the debt uh, that uh, Free South Africa owed to Cuba, we now see uh, an obvious regime change uh, operation being mounted. It may have misfired, certainly seems to have run out of steam very quickly. Uh, what's your take on what they're trying to do in Cuba and what's your uh, analysis of its chances of succeeding? Uh, let me respond to that first. It's got no hope of succeeding. And why? Because the Cuban revolution is people-based, as we well know. And everything that they've done since the Cuban revolution uh, of, of 1959 has been to develop their economy, their health services, their education programs, to their military power, their street committees, um, in order to protect their revolution, in order to advance the people's um, living conditions. And we know how that has taken place and the enormous success and achievements, so much so that Cuba's international solidarity stemmed from that and embraced so many scores and scores of countries, including countries like Angola, South Africa, Namibia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, in relation to the liberation struggle against racism, against the CIA, uh, and, and, and helped, as Castro pointed out about the Battle of Pitakwanavala in Africa, in Angola, which vanquished the South African forces, that the history of Africa would have to be written as before and after Pitakwanavala, etc. But yes, there's disquiet we see in the streets. We visited Cuba. I was taken to areas from where dissatisfied people um, have, have emerged uh, and, and have emerged in the past because it's not the first time we see protest. And why? It's precisely because of the wickedness of American sanctions and the way that is applied in the most criminal way, the blockade and embargo of Cuba against not just the Cuban people, but against the voting at the UN General Council, where only two countries voted against the lifting of the embargo. And that was the United States and his damn friend, the criminal regime, Zionist regime of Israel, just the other day. So, of course, what we're seeing is what we've seen fermented all over the world. And you were referring earlier, you made reference to Yugoslavia, the role of NATO there, the role of NATO throughout Europe, these color revolutions, etc. I'm not saying, and the Cubans don't say, that they made no errors. But any weaknesses have emanated from this insidious, vicious, disgraceful criminal blockade and sanctions of the USA. And it's being dealt with. And sometimes we've seen some scenes of people being roughed up and taken off 
carted off to prison, they're breaking the law. If that is the case, they're being dealt with that way. So it, it, it's not something that, that, that we, we're happy about. It's something that we see as the kind of threat of the American empire, reinforced by NATO, reinforced by the United Kingdom, to roll back the tide that you and I lived through, George, and we're lucky to be alive today, but I'm talking about the great anti-colonial struggles post the Second World War, which changed the war, which saw the downfall of colonialism of the empires of Europe, of Britain and France, Germany and so on, Portugal, uh, Spain, uh, Belgium, and, 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 and then the United States. And what have we been seeing occurring? And whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, it's American foreign policy, it's what's ripped apart the Middle East from Afghanistan through to Palestine, Syria through to Iraq, the areas that you've done such good work in and continue to. But it's, it's that attempt we're living at a time where on the one hand, socialism broke down in so many countries. We have Vietnam and Cuba and China at least still standing. Um, and we, 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 we've seen the ravages then under the neo-colonial empires of the world today. But it is an America in decline that can still do so much harm. And I think, and I would still say and believe, they come up against the hard rock of the Cuban revolution, Amen. which will survive. I absolutely believe that. Amen. And this is why the work you do, the work we do on Palestine, and again, Palestine is such a victim of neoliberal corruption in relation to the Palestine Authority. We've got to and hope to see a whole change in the political dynamic and leadership of the Palestinian people. There have been wonderful things, as we know, that have been happening in recent times now. And Ronnie, upsetting Ronnie, again uh, the American is, agenda. This is quite a, a tour de force. I think it will become a collector's item. <laughs> They're shouting no, at me. You. Thank you okay. very much. Ronnie Castros, Your Excellency, a great, great pleasure and honor uh, to interview you this evening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 